Welcome back, Rev Divers. It's been a minute, and as we prepare for the end of the year, we wanted to dig into some fun topics and some solutions to things that we know are kind of bugging a lot of folks in the industry. So what we did was we went out and found two friends of ours that are also massive experts in a few data scientist, nerdy, geeky areas that I absolutely adore. So please welcome to the show, Anne and John from Hex IQ. Good morning. Hello, good morning. Thank you. <laughs> I just love that you guys are, are nerdy, wonky people like I am. Um, it brings me so much immense joy. And Kem and I have been talking for a long time about having you guys on the show. So we are super excited you're here. And we're going to pick your brain like as much as we can, if that's okay with you yeah, guys. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, so first thing I wanted to say, can you tell our rev divers like just a little bit about payment data transparency laws? Because... There's a lot of confusion around that. A lot of, um, I think a lot of, particularly for practice administrators and things like that, they don't necessarily understand what the laws are or what that means to them. Yeah, so a data set that we work with extensively comes from the transparency and coverage rule that was passed at the tail end of 2020 and went into enforcement in July of 2022. And it mandates that all commercial payers need to publish every single rate that they've negotiated with every single provider for every code and every service setting. And so every month they need to publish machine readable files that are publicly available that can be parsed in order to, to get transparency into that pricing information. Um, there are other components to that law that also makes it so that consumers have to be able to access their personalized reimbursement and deductible information through a portal. Um, but the area that that we find really interesting from a practice and revenue cycle management consulting perspective is that that transparency and pricing data, which until July of last year was definitely not available. So, Okay, so I have to just kind of jump in because the the fact that you even know this, right? That you know that this is this is a thing. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of either stumbled upon this knowledge, built this knowledge over years. Tell us a little bit about your your yourselves and they're made of magic. Yes, they are. they're made of magic. They're, they're the elves in the background that are just they like are. pulling. They're the man behind the curtain. <laughs> We're just a bunch of data nerds, but John, you want to go? Yeah, we, um, so we come from outside healthcare and we have been, we always poke around for interesting data sets. And when big data sets drop, um, you know, they show up in Reddit and they show up in, you know, other spots on the internet. And, and this one came to our attention because of its size. Um, people talk about, uh, you know, a trillion prices in this data set and it has to be kept up to date every month. And so that by itself, presented a really interesting technical challenge. We were like a lot of people, you know, not a lot of people are going to take this on. Um, we're kind of uniquely positioned to take it on. Um, and so we started poking around. Um, we thought we figured this to be a 90 to 120 day effort to set up a pipeline um, to be able to, you know, parse all this data from all the payers and, and, uh, and be able to get it into a format that would be useful to people who are in industry because the format that it comes in is a little bit difficult to digest. Um, now a year and five months later, so we're at almost a year and a half mark. 
the volume of data was staggering. So it's uh, roughly two times the entire amount of the Netflix HD catalog per month. So about 240 terabytes per month. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, it presented a really interesting like data in data engineering challenge um, that we have, um, we've worked through, we've worked through it a few times um, and we continue to try and accelerate that pipeline to get it out faster. Um, but yeah, uh, we came at this from outside a healthcare background and um, you were actually some of the first people that we ran into that understood what we were talking about. So it was really exciting <laughs> running into you guys. I remember being really excited. I remember saying, hold on, I'd, I'd like to sit down. Um, and, and, and just for our listeners, um, I remember that conversation because I remember what you guys said was we consumed all of the information. So now we can report out for every provider or practice what their rates are negotiated with payers. And I was like, this is not a real conversation. Um, so I, I remember having to sit down because that's just so very cool. Yeah, when this first came out and we were speaking to practice managers and rev cycle folks, everyone was like, is this legal? Because you know, there are NDAs in place and I'm not supposed to share my rate with anybody. So they felt like they were talking to somebody with a trench coat in the back alley being like, I got the data right here. And that's you know, not, not what it is. So it is publicly available information. They have to publish it every month. And then one of the other interesting challenges about it is that they have to publish it on the first of the month and then they expire those files at the end of the month. Yeah. So you only have that period of time in which to ingest all that information and then they disappear. And then the next month's data wow. appears. So there's you know, a clock ticking every time the data drops and it's a phenomenal amount of information to map and, and parse and put into a digestible format that people can understand. And like when it first dropped, I was like, I can open this in Excel, right? <laughs> yeah. And my data team was like, well, you know, we're going to put it in Excel, but it took a little while. So I was like, why can't I open this in Excel? What are all these JSON files? So with, with all of this information, and now that we know that the, the, this payment information is available, how can healthcare providers, healthcare organizations access this information? Because like right now, if we want to access um, data related to our credentialing, we'll, we may go to PECOS or CAQH. Um, how, how would we go about accessing this information? So all the payers are mandated to publish this data publicly um, in an open format on their websites. Um, and you can find the data for any payer just by Googling uh, transparency and coverage, the name of the payer, um, and MRF, machine readable files. Um, that will take you to the files and you can, they are in an, op they're in an open format. You can, um, you can look at them yourself. So that, that is something that everybody has the right to do. Um, to totally public data set. It doesn't require a login, so there's no uh, requirement to set up a profile on the payer site or anything. You can just go and download these machine-readable files directly. So I I did try at one point to go take a look at one. Um, and so in terms of access to that information, I can definitely confirm it's, it's there and it's transparent. My preferred method is um, to call you guys because... <laughs> It was in turn, I mean, in terms of, like you said before, it being digestible and consumable, 
it's not. It's very complex, right? Which we understand because of payers, that's a lot of data that they have to dump on a regular basis. It, it's, it's difficult to get and, and to get that in some way that is really digestible. And so when that's something that we're striving for and like, not only can we get the data, but how do we look at the data, which you guys have totally answered. Thank you. But what then are, what then are people doing with the data? I mean, I have some ideas, but, but what use cases kind of come to mind for you guys for leveraging that information? So, yeah. Uh, so we built a data science platform called Pulse Medical that allows you to go in and perform a search to find the providers and codes that you're interested in and then download um, those specific rates into a, an Excel um, file that you can access directly from there. And the use cases that we've seen from the customers that we've been working with are everything ranging from benchmarking what their negotiated rates look like compared to other competitive practices and hospital systems within their region. Also building business cases as they're going into a renegotiation with a payer. So looking at those benchmarks and then determining you know, additional value that they provide and, and backing that up with data, which before now was not possible. Um, on some of those smaller practices sides, we're even seeing that folks are going through and just auditing to make sure that they have a consolidated list of what their most accurate and up-to-date rates actually are, because it can be difficult to pinpoint the latest contract and, and where that is. So just making sure that they have accurate information in their internal systems as well. We've seen interest in the private equity side for folks that are looking to potentially acquire different practices and see what negotiated rates there are across the board there. Uh, so there are quite a variety of use cases where the data is interesting. We've talked to hospital systems where they're trying to figure out exactly how the payment flows are shifting uh, surgeries that they really like to do to local ASCs. Um, and, and going back to the, the private equity folks, I mean, it, they're probably the, the folks who get it the quickest uh, in that they're shopping for practices to fold into uh, uh, their portfolio. And so they'll look for practices that are underperforming that have low negotiated rates and they can snap them up and fold them into their rate pool. So they know right off the bat, um, they can do an analysis to see whether a specific practice would be a, a good fit and whether they could make it profitable just by virtue of the fact that they have better rates. Yeah. And one of our mandates and our goals as a company is to democratize access to this data to make it possible for newer practices, smaller practices to be able to go in and access that information because it hasn't been readily available. And we know that practice managers are um, you know, tight on time and bandwidth and, and just making it easy for them as they're going into a renegotiation to build that business case and, and know where they stand in the market uh, has been one of the key drivers for why this data set was so interesting to us in the beginning. Yeah, you know, data is power and the, the more power we have, the, the better um, our sustainability would, would look in, in healthcare revenue cycles, right? Um, the, the use cases that you've described, I think, again, Taya and I both had to sit down. <laughs> after you shared, after you shared um, this information, we started thinking about all the ways as revenue cycle leaders that we could use this data, right? Um, you you mentioned the 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 compliance um, perspective, and um, I'm sure that our listeners are probably like, well, wait a minute, 
Like, how is this, how is this compliant? Um, and, and it's interesting because I think what ends up happening is in healthcare, we start thinking about Stark law, anti-kickback statutes um, that prevent us from sharing data. But what, what we're discovering in this conversation is that this is outside of that type of legislation, right? And um, it, I'm, I'm, it's not surprising that folks outside of healthcare figured this out, figured out how to go through <laughs> and access this data, parse it so that we could, we could use it, those of us who are in healthcare. So when we had that conversation with you um, early on and you were telling us about the data, we were like, oh my gosh, we can use it for this and we can use it for that. And we should, you know, how, <laughs> you know, there's just so many ways that we can use it. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear about like some of the success stories that um, you've kind of seen as you're starting to, to work with um, healthcare organizations um, and, and as they're using this data to make decisions. I'm sure that um, they are just super um, excited to have access to it. Um, and I'd love to hear like if there are any success stories that, that you could share. Yeah, so the, the transparency and coverage data has definitely been game changing. So I don't know if any of our listeners, local states, there have been any battles between payers and hospital systems as an example. So when the renegotiation period is happening, um, sometimes there'll be a threat that a hospital system will fall out of network because they can't come to an agreement. And so the, uh, the payer will send out a press release saying that, you know, people are going to have to find different providers and they can't come to an agreement because a hospital system is asking for more than the rate of inflation. Um, and, and then the hospital system comes out and says, you know, we just want to be paid an equitable rate so that we can provide high quality health care. And so you listen to the PR wars and you just wonder, you know, who's telling the truth. And now we have the ability to go in and take a look at it. So there was an example in Maine with Covenant Healthcare. So there are a couple of hospital systems and uh, it was Anthem uh, in Maine where they had this kind of PR battle going on. And we took a look at the data and ended up finding out that uh, Covenant was being paid in the very lowest percentile compared to other hospital systems in the state. Um, and so, and it was right down to the wire with the negotiations and the PR battles. And then they did come to an agreement the day before the uh, the contract was set to expire and they were able to move forward with equitable rates. Um, but you can imagine if the hospital system and, you know, one of the big payers are battling it out and they're battling it out in the, in, you know, in public via press release and talking to like getting stuff in the papers and the the lines of argument that they were making did not make sense in light of the fact that this is all publicly available data right it's kind of like if you're you know negotiating with your boss to get a pay increase but you don't know what everybody else in the company is getting paid right and they say well you're getting paid better than everybody else you have no way to validate that well that's no longer true uh uh, for hospital systems and small practices alike. So you can just look and see, you can look at the competitive landscape, you can see what all of your peer practices in your area or in comparable areas are getting uh, getting reimbursed. And that's so huge because it, it's holding somebody accountable, right? Whenever we are entering these negotiations, 
we want to hold each other accountable. And I think as practice administrators, executives, we feel that we're being held accountable because we have to show, you know, this is all of our data, this is our performance, these are our outcomes. And so having that additional piece of accountability on the payer side, I think it helps balance the negotiation conversation a little bit more. Um, one thing I've been wondering through this entire conversation, because you guys came from outside of healthcare, so much that we do in healthcare, um, not on the clinical side, right, but on the administrative side, so much that we do is so antiquated, right? The reliance upon the fax machines, the reliance on paper and manual processes, the limited automations. How kind of how were you guys feeling or what were you thinking when you first stepped into the healthcare realm and you were like, what is this? Like, <laughs> what did you guys have any initial kind of shockwaves? Like, I can't believe that they're operating in so far in the past. We have some experience in, in healthcare and, and pharma and some systems where we, you know, have integrated with flat file systems and, and looked at big data sets and been like, wow, okay. So that's definitely an old way to do it. Um, we did have some exposure, but uh, there definitely is a lot of dysfunction um, and, and a lot of opportunities for disruption, which I think is what the spirit of the transparency and coverage law was meant to bring to bear in the market so that people can come in from outside of healthcare and make a difference to, to optimize and make things more efficient um, across the board and make things more affordable in the end for the patient populations that are there. I think it's really fun just looking at like the, the biggest shock to us was the range in fees that people could get for say a knee replacement. And, it, and those were some of the earliest conversations that we had were with hospital systems looking, they wanted to know what the ASCs were charging. And, and you're talking an order of magnitude difference. So, you know, some places would do it for, you know, $7,000 and, and a hospital system might do it for $35,000. Uh, just, just wild. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the, and the conversations, the conversations were pretty funny sometimes, you know, like when that much disparity exists, of course, the, the payer is going to push people who are able to go to those ASCs who can cherry pick the very healthiest patient populations, right? If you have high triglycerides, I mean, you, you're not going to get it done there. You're going to get pushed into the hospital system. So it's, it's for, for me personally, seeing that, that broader range in fees for a single service, um, and then <clears throat> another thing that we haven't touched on yet, but I think is really interesting is about the whole broader risk transfer that's happening in healthcare, where the payers are pushing a lot of the yes. risk associated with the care onto the providers um, and watching how, how that shift is going to interact with this transparency around reimbursement. I think that's, there's really exciting stuff that's going to happen there. Yeah. And the other interesting part is also the consolidation that happens in markets where you have fewer independent practices and they get acquired by private equity or hospital systems. And so you don't have that primary care um, experience that, you know, our parents had and our grandparents had kind of thing and, and making it possible for smaller practices who are, you know, struggling to make payroll and keep the lights on and provide quality care to, to have it be possible for them to stay in the game and remain independent if that's what they want to do so that people have more options in rural areas and, um, and also for practices to also determine other areas of care that they want to enter into and what reimbursements look like for things like telehealth, you know, how can you expand your reach in that way on the behavioral health side, that's also huge. And so there are a lot of opportunities for this data to be used for good. We always say that 
you know, when we look back at our professional lives, we want to make sure that we're, you know, on the side of the heroes and the Disney movies and not the villains. And so that's been a big driver for us. Well, guys, let me tell you, you you're succeeding. <laughs> that legacy is is there. Um, and we really appreciate um, all the work that you have put in um, to ensure data um, transparency and access to data. Um, I know that our rev divers, their minds are probably like exploding right now with you know, with this conversation. Um, we thank you both. I mean, so much for the contributions that you've made, but then also for sharing your knowledge um, with us um, and uh, with our audience. Um, so thanks so much for being with us today. And I'm pretty sure we're going to have you back again um, <laughs> as more folks are, are starting to use this data um, in the future. So Rev Divers, until we meet again, keep diving into those rev cycles. <laughs>